Iran boasts about its nuclear achievements but may still return to talks with the West. Is the government doing enough to defend us from cyber attack? Yes, you do have bank robbers in cyberspace. You do have cyber bullies. You do have spies. And you also have uh, countries that are preparing to wage war. And Hollywood actor Sean Penn has been showing his support for Argentina in the row over the Falklands. Hello, I'm Glenn Mansell in this week for Kate Gerbeau. Iran has proposed an early resumption of long-stalled nuclear talks with world powers. The government in Tehran has written to European Union Foreign Affairs Commissioner Baroness Ashton, accepting her invitation to negotiate. Yesterday, Iran proclaimed advances in nuclear science, including new centrifuges to enrich uranium much faster. Michael Codner from the Royal United Services Institute joins us from Westminster. And BFBS defence analyst Christopher Lee joins me in the studio. Uh, Michael Codner, first of all, what do you make of this news? I mean, does Iran really want to talk? I think Iran is in a, um, in, in a difficult situation and... Uh, will pull all the strings that they can just at the moment, but uh, what substance there will be to the discussion is another matter. They've already threatened to close the Straits of Hormuz, uh, but the USS Abraham Lincoln has passed through the Strait twice in the last month. There's no incident uh, been reported, so the threats, are they empty? Well, not empty. The, the Iranians have um, have um, interfered in the Straits of Hormuz going right back to the Iran-Iraq war in the um, um, in the 80s, and uh, it's certainly possible. It's not easy to close the straits completely, and Iran does not have the capabilities to to sustain um, a closure of the straits. But, but any interference at all does cause some quite big problems over raising um, insurance levels. Um, the problem, if they do start doing anything uh, which uses violence at all, anything um, military or in any other way, uh, is that that would give the United States in particular uh, the opportunity to respond um, and uh, for Iran to actually be confirmed as some sort of enemy, which means the United States uh, could lead in actions which go rather further than just the straits. And, of course, at the end of the day, there is the issue of, of their nuclear capability. It opens the door for, uh, for um, interventions, uh, um, whether they're by the air, from the air or wherever, which can be quite m- much more extensive. Let me bring Christopher Lee in here. Uh, there are various reports from news organisations that Iran has improved its ties with al-Qaeda uh, as part of a campaign to target Western interests around the world. Is that something new or have they always been Facebook buddies? Um, they've always been there. Um, what is quite different is the is, is the attitude of other powers, like, for example, so-called Western powers, towards both both organisations. Iran presents this singular problem, and that is nuclear capability. And if you think it's not new, we tend to sort of talk about, oh well, uh, Ahmadinejad, President Ahmadinejad said the other day that uh, um, they've reached a, a level of enrichment, which means that they could have nuclear weapons. And what's going to happen about that? This is not new. It starts back in 1997. Uh, when you got uh, the Pakistan nuclear program director, uh, A.Q. Khan, who actually sold the Iranians in 1997 the plans for all how to enrich things. 1991, along comes China. They say, listen, if you want to build nuclear systems, whatever you want them for, you really need some uh, stuff called uh, UF-6, 
what's UF6, they say. Oh, well, that's the uranium you need to, to start to enrich. Oh, we'll have some of that. This is 1991. We're still 11 years to where we get to today. 2001, so we're still 11 years away. They start to build the enrichment plant at Natanz. And so it goes on until 2009, they started another one in, in Quam and another enrichment plant. Today, what we've got is supposedly 9,000 centrifuges in operating in the tons. If you happen to be sitting in the CIA, that is very, very scary. If you happen to be down in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem uh, working for Mossad, you're starting to rub your hands together because all the people in the Israeli government who said, eh, it's crazy to try and hit these guys, they're going to have to take a back seat. 20% enrichment. It's gone from 3.5 to 20%. It's taken 10 years to do it, but... If you want to build a bomb, you've got to get to 85% enrichment. That can happen quickly. You can make that leap in two years. Now, that is what the embargo is all about. That's what the, uh, the tie-ups with people like uh, Al-Qaeda is all about. That's what the putting ships through the Gulf of uh, Hormuz to say you've got to keep it open is all about. That is what, what, what it is. In two years' time, these guys could be saying, we can do mushroom clouds. I mean, you talk about uh, Israel there. I mean, Iran is now accused of attempting to assassinate Israeli diplomats in India, in Georgia, in Thailand this week. Is there something in that or not? Uh, according to the Israelis, there's a lot in it. And also, according to the, uh, the, the Thai government, I mean, the, the thing that happened in Bangkok, um, these were assassination attempts against diplomats. That puts it on a big, much bigger scale than straightforward Al-Qaeda stuff. This is Iranian terrorism, they say, because the explosives that they used in all three cities were the same, came from the same group, came from the same box. Michael Codner, if I can just come back to you just to finish off here. Uh, some reports suggest that Iran and al-Qaeda could attempt to find some sort of common target in Europe. Possibly even the, the Olympics is a possibility. Is that something that you think is on their horizon or not? It may well be on the horizon. The, the, the actual process of the, uh, the two, um, the, the nation and al-Qaeda working closely together is quite fraught bearing in mind that um, uh, they are very different in their um, religious backgrounds. Uh, and also Iran itself uh, is not uh, as integrated as one might think it um, may be. Um, there, there are various uh, uh, different pressure groups all working in uh, Iranian activities. And to, to make it work in the sort of extraordinarily well-coordinated way that you need to do this uh, to have a really um, big effect in something like the Olympics where uh, the defences are going to be quite considerable from the British side um, is, would be quite a challenge for them. But, but Christopher Lee, quite a prize though if you can get it. Uh, a prize if you can get it, but let's put it in another perspective. Iran supports Syria, the Syrian government of Bashar Assad. Al-Qaeda supports the opposition. These guys are in two different camps. You have Sunni-based uh, Al-Qaeda and you have uh, Shia-based uh, uh, Iran. I think that is a big enough divide anyway, and their ambitions are quite different. Thank you very much indeed. Michael Codner from the Royal United Services Institute. Thank you very much. Still to come, the actor Sean Penn has plenty to say about Falkland sovereignty. And we look ahead to Cameron and Sarkozy's summit in Paris. Now, the government ranks cyber attack as one of the greatest threats facing Britain. 
The Cyber Warriors tasked with protecting the UK are being organised into a new Defence Cyber Operations Group due to start work in the next few weeks. It comes five years after the first large-scale cyber attack which targeted Estonia's key services during a falling out with Russia. Soon afterwards, the country became home to NATO's Cyber Defence Centre of Excellence. BFPS reporter Will Inglis recently visited the centre when he spoke to Rain Otis about the cyber threat. Just think of cyber as another medium of human activity. Um, anything you have on the, let's say, real space or physical space that you can actually touch, um, you can have a, a mirror or an analogue of that uh, in cyberspace. So yes, you do have bank robbers in cyberspace, you do have cyber bullies, uh, you do have spies, both cor corporate and for national uh, goals. And you also have uh, countries that are preparing to wage war in cyberspace, or at least using cyberspace. So you have to be aware that uh, there's a, a wide range of potential threats out there. Then you have to figure out which of those threats actually make sense for your country or your organization and do your best to defend against those. In terms of this a cyber war, potentially, what does that affect? Is this a question of trying to hack uh, other nations' encoded, si encrypted signals, or does it go further than that? Is it trying to have real-world effect through the use of computers? I would say both. I mean, the idea actually is to gain a military advantage by using this technology. Now, reading somebody else's communications obviously is a great military advantage. Um, Enigma in World War II proved you know, very, very useful uh, once the Allies could read it. Um, but having physical effects, so basically taking over a control system and opening, opening some gates or, uh, you know, for example, disabling uh, radars just for 15 minutes. But ask any Air Force guy, would he love, love to have 15 minutes of free skies to do whatever he wants? And I'm, I'm sure he would be happy about that. So it doesn't have to be a permanent effect. Temporary effects also make sense. And it doesn't have to be a sort of doomsday, end of the world type uh, thing, which mostly is, a, is hype. And um, you know, you, if, if you look at it from the military perspective, then typically the goals would be very limited. Uh, you want to disable the radar picture for that many minutes in this uh, system only. You don't want to write some piece of code that will go out there and uh, mess with civilian radars as well, for example, because you know, then it would be very difficult to li limit the, uh, the damage that you do. Michael Codner from the Royal United Services Institute is still with us. Michael, NATO seems to be taking the cyber threat seriously. Are we in the UK? Uh, uh, very serious indeed, yes. Uh, um, from the, the military point of view, the, the um, last bit of that discussion, uh, uh, this has been an issue um, which, which, which uh, goes way back. It's obviously very, very much more uh, serious now because of the capabilities for, for um, cyber warfare. But um, it, on the military side, it has been um, a, a very big issue for a long time, particularly since uh, network-enabled capability that's linking uh, our own military up effectively and well in order to get all the bits together to, to be most effective is very vulnerable to a cyber attack. Um, but uh, 
the issue, of course, is much wider, the, the, the um, issue for security generally, which is not specifically military. Um, and um, that is something that in the early days of the national security debate in Britain, uh, there was a tendency in government to presume that most of this was a matter for, um, for the private sector, for the financial business, etc., etc. That's where the big vulnerabilities were. When we come to the... Uh, the um, 2010 uh, national security strategy, uh, cyber security is placed as uh, number two in the biggest threats to the United Kingdom after uh, proper ordinary terrorism. And so there is certainly that focus with a rise in budget. Um, it doesn't mean that there aren't huge problems. And the big problems, some of the big problems are this business of getting the partnership right between government and, and business on the one hand and also within government, the different government departments properly integrated to deal with the problem uh, effectively. Um, but but um, I won't say Britain is on the lead on this subject, but it's certainly one that's, that, that, that we would be showing leadership. Are, 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 these, are these various departments well glued together to perform the task in hand? Well, they're not at the moment, which is why you need these new entities um, as the... Um, as the focal points to 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 uh, achieve some of this there's a problem for nato as well and that is that nato is a military organization when it comes to cyber attacks specifically in relation to um, military systems then that's very much a nato problem but when you're looking at the business sector and everything else then that's not typically a nato problem and we've got next door a european union <laughs> whose uh, t a typical job would be to look after that side of the house. Uh, obviously, the two would need to work together, and the European Union is rather on the back foot, particularly in the financial and economic centre in public perceptions just at the moment. A big part of defending any nation or any nation's interest is exercising. Uh, Christopher Lee, how do we exercise for cyber war? Uh, we've, we've done it for a long time, in, in certainly in paper exercises, um, in a different way. I and mean, we call it cyber warfare now. But if you look at uh, electronic gathering, electronic jamming, etc., et this is an extension of what people did. Now, to give you a, one simple example, uh, which I know about in an exercise, you have an operation and you've got a battalion moving through at a certain rate and starts to outrun itself, if you like. Um, it doesn't know where other people are in its own battle group. It needs to know and suddenly the whole thing is blanked out. What does that battalion do? What does it do to make sure that he hasn't got somebody else coming around in the pincer operation, somebody with close air support is not coming when it's calling it down? You haven't got oil bowsers coming up to sort of uh, to, to, to fuel up. You need Kazovac, and you're not quite sure you can get it. You don't know where enemy is. That is a perfect, almost a, a classic example of not just uh, cyber warfare, but that's it. The other side of it is on the bigger, uh, bigger scale. The biggest extradition case that's going on at the moment between the Americans and the British is the British, uh, the Americans have been trying to extradite uh, somebody who, when he was a teenager, hacked into the Pentagon. And this is the biggest example of how not just simple it is, but how it can be done that you can hack into any sort of big system. A system, remember, that's got more steel protection around than anything else that is well protected. Michael Codner, we're going to spend £650 million on this over the next four years. Is that enough money or not? 
Well, it, it's not the only money. That's the new money that, um, that uh, um, Cameron announced that he was going to be putting into it. In this, for this particular challenge, uh, there's never going to be enough. Uh, but at the same time, it's not uh, essentially uh, just a government problem, and it's one um, that uh, in industry also has to invest very heavily. And I don't think that's um, a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer for the uh, financial sector. But an awful lot of um, critical national infrastructure is not actually owned by government. It's actually owned and managed by mm -hmm. the civil sector, and they, of course, have a responsibility uh, to um, to protect that. They can't just expect the government uh, to the to do the whole lot because that. That's part of why these things have been outsourced to um, to. Uh, uh, the private sector. Of, co of course, we focus here mostly, Christopher, on defence, but would we go on the offensive here? We know that there was uh, a virus which was put into the Iranian uh, nuclear system some time ago. I mean, that could have had terrible results. Yeah, well, uh, unless you're an Israeli, uh, looking at it from the military point of view, and they said it had quite good results. It bought back the the, the Iranian program six months, and uh, the only alternative of doing that was actually to assassinate a uh, nuclear scientist. So that's, that's quite an effective thing. Every system, um, including your mobile, can be jammed, can be in interrogated by somebody else's system. That is the size of the problem. It is a global system, and it's not confined to the MOD, the Pentagon, etc. And you can hear more if you're interested on cybersecurity as Will Inglis looks at the subject in depth in Think Cyber this Monday at half past four UK time on BFBS Radio 2. MPs on the Commons Defence Select Committee are due to visit the Falkland Islands next month in a move that is likely to increase tension between Britain and Argentina. The trip's likely to happen just before the 30th anniversary of the 1982 conflict. Sharon Holford is a member of the Falklands Legislative Committee. She told BFBS that suggestions the trip was deliberately aimed at provoking Argentina were absurd. Absolute nonsense, isn't it? Um, the British military have got to carry on doing what they normally do, and these visits are sort of routine, although this one hasn't happened for quite a long time. They do go around different places visiting, and why can't they go? Why shouldn't they go? Meanwhile, a report by an investment research company suggests the area around the Falkland Islands could contain up to eight billion barrels of oil. And adding fuel to the fire, Hollywood actor Sean Penn has been criticising the UK for sending Prince William to the islands and suggesting Britain and Argentina should share possible revenue from offshore oil reserves. Well, Conservative MP and former soldier Patrick Mercer joins us now. Uh, Mr Mercer, I take it you're not a big fan of Sean Penn? I have absolutely nothing against Sean Penn at all. I'm sure he's a splendid fellow and I enjoy his acting. But I don't think he's a diplomat. I don't think he's a politician. I don't think he's, he's really qualified to talk on these sorts of subjects. And I think I've probably reflected that in my comments so far. Uh, what about the timing, then, of the Defence Select Committee's planned visits to the islands? I think the last one was around 1999. Could we forgive the Argentines for being suspicious? Um, the Argentinians can have whatever opinions they wish. Uh, frankly, it, it, it has no bearing, as far as I'm concerned, upon the way in which the... Falkland Islands govern themselves, or indeed they choose to be governed by Her Majesty from the British Isles. Now, if our members of Parliament, if my colleagues wish to go there, um, particularly uh, just before the 30th anniversary of the war in the Falklands, which by anybody's estimation is a hugely important, iconic landmark in recent British history, they should jolly well go. We're a sovereign country. We will do exactly what we like with our, with our dominions and our possessions. The reports are coming in today suggest that there could be a, a lot more oil in the area than previously thought. 
this this problem is not going to go away. This has to be Argentina's main concern, doesn't it? I, I, again, I'm delighted that Argentina, with whatever opinions Argentina wishes to have about the areas uh, which currently, and as far as I'm concerned, in perpetuity, will be governed by Her Majesty under the Union flag. These are British islands, the people are British, and those natural resources which come to the surface, sorry, bad pun, uh, in and around the Falkland Islands, are the matter matters for the Falkland Islanders and the government in the United Kingdom to decide. It has nothing to do with Argentina. Having spent an extended period of time in the Falklands, myself, I've only just recently returned, I know how important it is for the Falkland Islands to regard themselves as British. There's been some talk about possibly putting the word Falkland Islands on front of uh, the British passports. Christopher Lee, what do you think about that? I know it happens in Gibraltar, doesn't it? Well, it's a Scot. I have a view on this <laughs> to tell you. Uh, and I don't think it makes any difference at all. I mean, there's sort of things that wind people up at the moment, certainly the the, um, uh, the Argentinians. For example, uh, the, the uh, David Willits, the Minister for the Universities, is just about on his way. In fact, I think he is on his way to the Falklands. Now, that's far more likely to wind up the Argentinians uh, than anything else. The surrender document that's, uh, that uh, uh, General Moore signed um, in on June the 14th, was it, uh, in 1982, after that war, that's going on sale at Bonham's Gallery on April the 3rd. Now, that, again, is far more likely to wind, wind people up rather than, uh, rather than the background uh, divisions about who gets the oil. Patrick Mercer, the international community, I mean, particularly America as well, has been relatively quiet, quiet on the matter. Is, is that helpful to us or not? I, I can't see that it is unhelpful. America was at best ambivalent during the war itself, and I think that uh, silence is probably probably welcomed on this particular subject. On the other hand, it would be even more helpful if she if she were to be supportive of her greatest ally. But that's a matter that's a matter for the sovereign government of the United States. Um, the Falklands. It's very important to the Falkland Islanders that mainland Britain continues to demonstrate our support and our loyalty towards them. They've done it to us, after all. They are British subjects. And I'm sorry if I'm being old-fashioned and being simplistic about that, but I'm rather good at both. Um, This is a very simple matter. These people wish to remain as Britons. They wish to remain under Her Majesty and under our flag. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is the end of the matter. Christopher, President Obama not keen to get involved in this one. Would America back Britain if it came to the crunch? Uh, It depends where it comes to the crunch. I mean, at the moment, there is something going through the United Nations where the Argentinians and some other South American countries are trying to get a condemnation of Britain's uh, attitude and raising the whole thing again. The Americans have always been quiet about this. And there have been cases where in the State Department they've said, well, we have to support something else which is extraordinarily important to us, and that's the organization of American states, which includes the United States and Mexico, Central America and Southern America. And that becomes very important. That's why the Americans and the State Department especially want to back off from this. Let other people sort this one out. And as, and as, you know, as Patrick Mercer says, they, you know, they, they weren't noisy during the Falklands War. But you ask where we got the sidewinders that we needed during the Falklands War, and they came from the United States. There are other ways of doing things. What about our special relationship, Patrick Mercer? Can we call on that? Of course we can, but I, I don't think I... I think Christopher makes some extremely good points. I, I, would, I would also point out uh, where, where the... Uh, um, the Super 8 Andar aircraft were armed and where their equipment came from. It certainly didn't come from Britain, it came from France. But anyway, that's sorry, that's another matter. Um, 
the special relationship, of course, is important. But whenever I think about the special relationship, I remember the last time that I was in America and heard um, a particular American television, sta- ta- television station talking about the simply the most important relationship they had. I assumed it was going to be with Britain. It turned out to be with Pakistan. With, with, with all that's going on at the moment, could the uh, Defence Select Committee not just turn around and say, hang on, we're going to leave it six months. We're going to leave it a year. We're just going to let things lie just for a moment. The trouble with that, I mean, I was on the Defence Select Committee before the uh, the Second Gulf War, and we chose to to make some extremely useful and informative visits in the weeks leading up to the uh, to the sort of declaration of hostilities there, um, which were uh, suggested. The, the media suggested that this was provocative. It wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be ourselves as a Select Committee going about our business of helping the, this country to be governed. We, we were we were caught. In a, it's not quite with our pants down, but it was getting on that way in 1982. I think that there are individuals, I know all the members of the Defence Committee, the most extremely sensible and thoughtful individuals on the Defence Committee, who are saying, we've got another problem coming up here. It's a problem not just of natural resource and the exploitation of that natural resource, but also of our ability to defend uh, the Falkland Islands and to project power. Now. If we are going to be, if, if, if hostilities of some sort, I don't necessarily mean armed hostilities, but there's going to be friction with, Arge- with Argentina and with the Southern American countries generally, we need to be better informed. We need to get our noses right into this problem. And I think as well, we need to show the government of the Falkland Islands that we are interested in them, because by golly, we are. Patrick Mercer, thank you. Thank you. This is BFBS SIGREP. David Cameron will meet the French president in Paris tomorrow for the annual Anglo-French summit. Syria is obviously on the agenda, and it's thought they'll discuss increasing help to Syrian rebels, including giving them military advice. Christopher Lee, what sort of help do you think they're planning to give? I'm not sure they're planning yet. What they've got to do is talk it through. And it could be, and it's a very dangerous, uh, very dangerous idea. Uh, It could be, for example, in northern Syria, there would be a secure area where... Uh, perhaps the opposition could could gather where they might even get armed expertise. It may also be, as we saw in, in, in Libya, say a group of advisors go in and try and coordinate some of this. One of the problems that we talk about the opposition in Syria, uh, you have to look and see how, how it is amalgamated. It isn't. They're all over the place in, 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 in many cases. And so that's the dangerous thing. Nobody wants to put boots on the ground. Well, certainly not the ground where we can actually see it at the moment. The other thing which they've got to be doing is wondering whether uh, people like Turkey can get involved, uh, whether what the Russian position is going to be, how this ties in with what we were talking earlier on about uh, Iran, because the Iranians are supporting the, uh, the, the, the Syrians. So that's part of it. But behind all this... Um, is the fact that the euro is, you know, is hitting rock bottom again. In fact, the euro itself is is actually trading quite well. But if you if you listen to what the Greek finance minister Evangelos uh, Venizelos was saying just yesterday, they're trying to drive us out of the euro. Well, what's that got to do with us talking about defence? Is because if the euro starts to stumble and the economy goes bad in such a big way, then we have one problem. And that is that NATO, European NATO countries, will not be able to afford their defence budgets. And right at the front of that will be the United Kingdom. And the defence budgets we imagine that should be coming up in 2014, 2015 will not materialise. 
That is the size of the problem. Um, the other thing is the bet, of course, that uh, President Sarkozy will not be here next year for the annual <laughs> meeting because uh, he's got a little mat of uh, 20% to make up in a, an election that starts in May. Well, I mean, he's declared his intention to run for a second term uh, today. I mean, how much uh, does France's performance on the world stage matter to French voters? Well, if you're a grey voter, it, it, it doesn't matter at all. Um, uh, one of the things that Sarkozy pushed through uh, was that the retirement age should be raised from 60 to 62. And that is a huge issue. And it's it comes down to how, how well off are you? And do you remember what Clinton said about all elections, general elections? It's the economy, stupid. And that's what come, comes back. People are talking about Sarkozy being one of the best foreign policy presidents the, America, uh, the, the French have had for donkey's years. Uh, it's not going to cut any chips when you get to, uh, come, get to the election. Uh, Cameron and Sarkozy likely to announce uh, a string of defence deals. Uh, could this lead to more Anglo-French defence initiatives, do you think? I think it will lead to uh, certainly Dassault and British um, uh, BAE systems. Uh, putting together deals that we will probably start hearing about probably by tonight, late tonight, and certainly by tomorrow morning. OK, Christopher, a final thought for the week. Tell us about this UN meeting ahead of the Arms Trade Treaty. The Arms Trade Treaty, everybody calls it ATT. Um, 20 billion business, 20 billion sterling business is the arms trade in the world. You've got to pull it all together. You've actually got to get a treaty for people to say, listen, we won't do that, we won't sell that sort of thing, end-use certificates will be monitored properly. And it's so important that you can actually find yourself um, on the end of something you've sold. Classic example, we talked about the Falklands earlier. When we went south in 82, the Argentinians had two very good destroyers. They were Type 42s. We'd sold them. Not only that... The Royal Navy had taught them how to use them. So you have to be very careful. We're very keen to sign up for this sort of thing. But as also as Patrick Mercer was saying, you could actually find, like the French, had sold the Super Etendard and the Exocet missile to the Argentinians. So you've got to make sure where this stuff goes. And that's what the huge business is all about. Well, that's just about it for this week. My thanks to our, all of our guests and, of course, Christopher Lee. If you'd like to join the discussion on any of the stories we've talked about today, you can follow us on Twitter at BFBS Citrep. We're back at the same time next week. Have a good week, won't you? From me, Clem Ansell, goodbye. <laughs>